What's up, TIW Mafia? JP here, and I am with Big Joe, and we are joined by Jerry Thornton. For those who don't know, you'll see that logo in the background. He is a um, writes for Boston Sports. He's also written several books on his own about the greatest dynasty in sports history, I might say. I agree with that. And um, my favorite team of all time. But, Jerry, um, how's it going today, and how are you doing? No, I, I appreciate you having me on, Joe. JP, thanks for reaching out to me and uh, inviting me on your little rocket ship to the moon. And uh, full disclosure, the, the first book is about the furthest thing from the Patriots dynasty, which was the Patriots when they were awful for 40 years. The Patriots of my youth that I fell in love with. But it's called From Darkness to Dynasty, so spoiler alert. They end up being a dynasty at the end. Like it, you, you hate to give away the ending of a story, but it ends with them breaking through in 2001 and how crazy that turnaround was. You know what? But sometimes you can give away the ending, right? I mean, like Titanic. You know, I don't think there was anyone sitting there going, what happens at the end of this big cliffhanger? Wow, <laughs> that was a shocker. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's right in the title, like Darkness 2 Dynasty, like Finding Nemo. Like, surprise, at the end, Nemo is found. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I appreciate that. And then the second one, Six Rings, is about this land of milk and honey that we've all lived in for 20 years, but all the craziness that's come with that, like the scandals, real and imagined, the league-changing rules, how they went from America's sweetheart to history's greatest monster in the span of about about 12 months, and they I wouldn't have it any other way. They went from right, the Patriots to the Yankees. Yeah, and even though I, like, I never thought like the Yankees, aside from maybe here and you know maybe Mets fans, I never for remotely felt the Yankees got the kind of pure vitriol that the Patriots have gotten. Like, America loved Joe Torre, and you go back a generation, they loved whatever, Casey Stengel uh, uh, or what have you. And no one ever changed the rules to stop the Yankees. They just yeah. celebrated them, and they've done that with the Patriots on numerous occasions over the span of like a decade and a half at least before they started in on this. And, again, would, wouldn't have it any other way. Eat that hatred for breakfast. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Is that your, Is I mean, are you into all Boston sports? Are you a homer? Is it? Um, yeah, yes and it, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, positively. I mean, you know, I, you know, the, when I was a kid, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the Red Sox, I, we all lived through that era where, yes. you know, the Yankees were the, God, I hate this cliche, but I'm going to use it, the big older brother that always, you know, that always beat us in one-on-one -on -one basketball in the driveway and, you know, could, you know, hit, hit, uh, hit golf balls hard, further than us or whatever. Um, so back in like, gosh, it was like 2002, I got a call randomly out of the blue from New York city. And it was a guy identifying himself as a producer from HBO who got my name through a comic that I've worked with. I've been doing stand-up comedy since like 1990. And, um, they were looking for people who could talk about the Red Sox for a documentary. And this guy said, I'm a, I'm a motor sports guy, but I got a huge Red Sox fan and he gave them my name. And that documentary ended up being called Curse of the Bambino. And I'm in that. And uh, 
It came out about two weeks before the Grady Little game. You know, oh, game, wow. yeah, nice. game seven. You know, it, basically, it was where were you when this terrible thing happened? Mm. How much do you remember about that awful thing happened? What's it like being a Red Sox fan and having to go through all this stuff? And um, you know, a year later, you know how the story goes. They had the greatest comeback in history, and I said to my the Irish Rose, I said. I'm going to get another call from HBO, I promise you. And sure enough, two days later, we're doing a sequel. So <laughs> it was, yeah, it was fun I, talking about the Red Sox and all that. And it's on, it's on uh, YouTube. You can find it, both, both documentaries. And it won like a, a Emmy award. And, you know, I was the guy doing the, let her roll her up along first, behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Red Sox win. And, you know, Larry Bird was drafted right when I fell in love with the game of basketball, where I was like in high school, I started right. playing all the time and watching college basketball and the Celtics were down and then Red Auerbach pulls off maybe the greatest personnel move in history. And, <laughs> and my first ever hero, and then I'll wrap this answer up because I've been going on forever. I know who you're going with and I love it because he was my favorite player back then, so i am Okay, so uh, I'm about to go to hockey, right? That's where I'm going. Jerry Cheevers. Absolutely. Oh. the Yeah. Uh, I thought was, you were going to go Ainge coming off of the Blue Jays. Oh, you know what? I, I guess I predate even him. But, no, Jerry Cheevers, yeah. uh, I had the mask that I played street hockey in with the, you know, oh, yeah. the, the stitches on. Yeah. And I have a replica of it. And that, to me, and my beloved Irish Rose, is – the leg lamp that was in Ralphie mm. Parker's like window. Yeah. Like if she could get rid of anything in this house, it would be that. <laughs> and if God forbid the house catches fire and everyone is free and safely away and I've run in and grabbed like the uh, home movies and the photo albums, that's the next thing that yeah. I'm taking out with me because it's <laughs> irreplaceable in my world. Nice. Now see, I grew up, I, I was, I was born in 74. I'm an old man. So I remember like, and I, because of that, and you'll probably understand this, I didn't become a, um, I really didn't become a Patriots fan until Brady. Literally, the first year they won, I watched every game. But before that, you really couldn't watch every game on TV. There was so much blacked out in the 80s. Yes, which is a lot of, you know, like, the, the narrative of, of the book. It's, like, how preposterously like, irrelevant they were. You know, That's, like, okay, and, and here's an old reference, but Amazon, before Amazon was uh, Sears, and you had the Sears catalog, which when I was a yes. kid was like around the time you were born, I was a, like a young kid. That was like getting the, uh, I don't know, that was like the kid Bible. It would come right around this time of year, right after school started, and it was this thick with just NFL gear that you could get. You could do your entire bedroom in like stuff, like pennants and posters and waste baskets and hats and pennants and all, all this other crap. And at the bottom underneath most of them in little agate type, it would say not available in the following teams, Patriots, you know, and yeah, like right. you said, ha the home games were for much of a, a lot of seasons, not even on t local TV. Um, and yet they were like that stray dog that I, that followed me home from school that I fell in love with and my, my right. older brothers like were into them. And it, it's like back then when you had like the, the Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, 
Patriots. Saying the Patriots were your favorite team was like someone saying, hey, who do you like most out of the Three Stooges? And you said, uh, Shemp. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, no, no one likes Shemp. No one ever had an episode come on and go, thank goodness it's a Shemp. I was worried it might be a Curly. Um, <laughs> and yet they had great moments. They really did. They built yeah. some great teams. But invariably, those great teams imploded like that. Like, And, and that's what probably the reason I love this era so much because it's impossible to have stayed consistently, competitively excellent the way they have for as long as they have, and yet we've, we've seen it happen. The only thing I missed from that era is the prices. They couldn't afford to regain back then. Yeah, you know, that's a thing, like – when I was doing WEI, which I did full-time for a couple of years, um, invariably when you talked MLB, you'd get a guy calling up, and, and every baseball call would go the same way. The guy would tell you how old he is and who he saw play, and then you knew what was coming next is how he could walk into the park and buy tickets. So it would be, so be like this. Okay, uh, Charlie in Revere, go ahead. You're next. Like, Fellas, I'm 67 years old, <laughs> and I used to see Mickey Mantle play, and I could walk in and pay 50 cents. Okay, because the place was empty. Right. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't mean it was a better place. Like, I, I, the reason I think I maybe I love the packs first is um, they were the first sporting event I ever went to. Like, my brothers could get me tickets. My dad passed away when I was like nine years old. So that thing that I think most kids do, you go to Fenway, your father takes you and it's relaxing. It's a beautiful sunny day. Didn't happen. So I went to the old crappy stadium and it just kind of imprinted on me as much as it was a dysfunctional. It, it was the Lord of the Flies with goalposts at either <laughs> end. It was right fights every five minutes and, like drunks falling downstairs and, and crap, and yet for whatever reason, I'm 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 grateful it, it 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 happened. I can remember going with my father as a kid, but I can remember I more so and like you said with the fifty cent tickets, when my friends weren't getting conned out of our money for drinking money drinking money from the older kids. Come on, I did that once. You just did that every weekend. I know, so what? But we would spend our allowance, and it was $7. Most of my friends got about a $7, 7 to $10 a week allowance back then, and that was enough. And it was 7 bucks for a bleacher ticket day of the game. Yeah, well, and, and with that, like, I remember back in the day as well, you'd have 15 kids pile into one car, and one dad would drive everybody in. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. They'd cram you into the back of the country squire with the wood veneer on the side. Well, yeah. you know, no seat belts. And because if the car crashed, you would just kind of free fall into the dashboard, right? They just they just <laughs> yeah. hose it out and sell the car to somebody else. You know? We used to walk. Um, we used to walk from Copley Plaza. For those who don't know, Copley Plaza is probably about a mile and a half from Fenway Park. It's not a far walk, but my father would park at the Prudential Center because they had a car washing service in there. So you, instead of paying for parking, he paid for the car wash and left the car there. <laughs> that's, that's genius. Right. When, <laughs> that's brilliant. When I was like maybe 13 through about 16 or 17 or so, um, my cousin, who was my best friend, and I had a weird setup. I grew up in Weymouth, and um, there were four boys and a girl in my house and four boys and a girl in my cousin's house across the street. 
Like it was so odd. Like I, I just thought that's how everyone's life was. So my best friend was my cousin, Tommy. Yeah, we were Tom and Jerry Thornton. Yeah, so <laughs> you can imagine. Uh, I'm oh, wow, no. glad you said it. Yeah, we'd be like, thanks, fellas. Never occurred to us until you guys just mentioned it. Thank you. But anyway, for Christmas, we used to get like a package of socks tickets from uh, our moms. And, uh, you know, it would be like every Friday night game or every double header back when they used to have like a dozen a, a year or whatever. Um, and you could afford it. And now, now I live in this fear that somebody I know will invite me to a game hmm. because now you've got to do that dance. You go, well, I'd like to go to a game, but you have an extra ticket. Is it going to cost me $130 yeah, that's to watch a baseball game that could end after five innings because of the rain or go until four in the morning? Like, do I really want that? So, but you know what? The, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, when they first started charging ridiculous money, they started selling 3 million tickets a year. Yeah. Which they're not doing this year, but I don't know. Go, go figure that. No, uh, I got, I go once a year. One of my buddies comes up. We grew up together. Uh, he comes up from Maryland every year. And we make a point to go to a Patriots game, do the tailgate and do the whole thing and just have a good. And for the one game, we don't care, you know, Big but no. that, that's an expensive day. Yeah, and you can also feed yourself in the parking lot, and you know yes. you, you you can literally go into Gillette and spend three hours there and not pull out your wallet the entire time. Whereas, like Fenway, I mean, you know, you're not you're not tailgating on uh, you know Yaki Way or whatever the con yeah. it now, you know. What I mean, so, so yeah, so that's for per person. That's you're looking at close to a I don't know three hundred dollar day just to go see. One game of 162. Now people go again. Don't don't have an issue yeah. with that. But it's uh, you know it's we we can't sit here and argue about how back in the good old days it was really cheap because you know you could get tickets because no one was really going relative to today. No. Now we're here. I'm going to ask you about this season a little bit. We're open one. Yep. How do you think the Mac Jones era is going to go? Oh, I'm so on Team Jones. And my my journey to this guy began last year, last probably November, when the Pats were looking at maybe a playoff spot. And yeah. then they they lost three straight in early December. And I did the math in my head and I said, okay, playoffs are out of the question, but now they could theoretically get Jones. And so, you know, as as they dropped in the standings, and Alabama just ripped through everyone as they had all year long. And we're talking to the SEC, which is basically the NFL junior. You know, it's the NFL's like uh, quadruple A league. And watch this guy and his style of play and, you know, and how he looked against Ohio State in the championship game. And I said, want that. This is for me. And so around I, – I do these – Patriots draft previews because I don't pretend to know. I don't do mock drafts. I don't know how other teams build a team, but I feel I have a really good track record of predicting people the Patriots would, would take. So March 24th, I want to say, maybe 25th, I did a preview of the quarterbacks and I called him the perfect Patriot. Here's why. Here are my reasons. And I predicted they would take him. And so the way the, the draft board unfolded, um, it was, you know, the first three picks were quarterbacks. We all knew that. 
and then you still had um, the, the the Ohio State kid, uh, whatever, whatever. You know, yeah. you yeah, yeah Mac Jones. Uh, no, uh, Mac Jones, before. Mac Jones, and Justin Fields were still okay. on the board. And so Chicago made a move to move ahead of the Patriots. They took Fields, and now I'm looking at the oh. team still out there, and I'm going, not looking quarterback, not looking quarterback. Right. And there was a trade. On the fourteenth pick, the Patrick fifteen, and I was like, "Okay, now it's time to nut up or shut up here." And it said the Jets pick is in, and I said, "Matt Jones," because the Jets aren't looking quarterback; right. they have theirs. <laughs> and again, my my lovely bride is going, "Why are you running around the house screaming? I'm like, do you never listen to a word I say? Honestly, <laughs> I've been talking about Matt Jones for months and all night long. And so, yeah, and then his progression through." Spring training, or spring camp, and then training camp, or whatever. Nothing he has done has dissuaded me from the idea that he's exactly what they look for. He's not athletic, doesn't have a great body. Neither did the guy who won the Super Bowl last year, the forty-three-year-old, now forty-four-year-old. It's what's between your ear holes and how accurate you are, and then you can build from there. And to be coachable, you know, Brady is a great player. No doubt about it, the greatest quarterback of all time. No matter where he's playing, he doesn't lose that. I may not think he's the greatest today, but he is the greatest of all time, period, end of story. But his first two years, he didn't call a play. Yeah, I I mean, you can actually look back at those games when he first took over in 2001 Mm -hmm. and say he was, it's not a, uh, you know, an epithet. It's not disparaging the guy to say he was a caretaker quarterback. The, the Hippocratic oath: first, do no harm. Very and, basic you know, football. Yes, the the team was built around a running game and an aggressive, swarming, yep. turnover crazed defense. But he was huge in big moments. Now we saw some and, great some great passes last week by Mac Jones. Very precise. The precision's there. Does he air it out this week, you think? You know, I, I don't think that this system has ever necessarily been an air it out um, system, even at their best. And, and, you know, you can we all go to the default setting of Randy Moss, who's an outlier. Right. But like the I, you know, I, I will never forget 2010. And this is when Moss had really started to kind of become like he had kept a lid on his unique and really endearing brand of crazy for three years and a quarter of a season before he just like went off. He, he had, they had a big win. He didn't make any catches. So he, he went nuts when they let him go. They traded him to Minnesota. They brought in Dion branch. Yes. Who's nobody's definition of a big, you know, ball receiver. And the we offense made, got better. We with, made branch a big money guy. Brady made Branch a big money guy. A hundred percent. You know, two-time champion, could have won two Super Bowl MVPs. When he came back in 2010, he fit into the system and the offense took off. And it was without um, uh, Randy Moss. So, and I sit there and like, you know, the cliche is, oh, you want a guy who can take the top off a defense. Fellas, that's great. I prefer a guy who could pull the defenses top down and motorboat yeah. it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather a defense that's going to shut down the offense and let our offense just do their thing. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm, a, I'm a defensive guy. I, I love 
defense. I, I loved the way they beat the Rams in 2018. The fact that they took, at the time, the 11th highest scoring offense in NFL history and not only held it to three points, they kept them out of the red zone. 11th highest scoring offense in history. Couldn't crack the Patriots 20. I, I, I love that. And I, I get it. Like, remember a couple of years ago, it might have been that season, the Rams played the Chiefs, and each team scored over 50 points. Yes. Yeah. And my yes. point watching that was we've always said you can't have enough offense. You can have too much offense. You know what I mean? Like at some point it just becomes, it's not special anymore to watch really? like, every, yeah, if every drive ends in a touchdown or every deep pass is a pass interference or a completion for 80 yards, is it really get point? Look, not everything has to be, and you guys are probably old enough to get the reference, has to be the uh, 1980s Denver Nuggets. Yes. You, yes. you know what I mean? Where they lose games. 154 to 146 and you're going like yeah oh okay here's a here's a more recent um uh comparison like the steroid era in baseball yeah yeah, it saved the game i give you that but after a while you can only watch so many 13 to 10 games that have six homers right yeah whereas give me two pitchers grinding it out against each other and i'm used to be a big thing to be in the 40 40 club Oh yeah, absolutely, you know, and now is... it's just com- commonplace as as hell. Now, having said that, watching the Pats last year run the uh, nineteen thirty Akron Pros offense didn't have quite the charm. <laughs> Maybe I was hoping for because the only person that got any any yards last year was Cam Newton. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I, he I know, ran the ball. I'll give credit to Jacoby Myers for yes. the way he stepped up an undrafted guy in his second year. And, you know, Damian Harris established himself as a pretty good bellwether running back. But, you know, the, the points were what the points were. They you weren't, know what? They were I'm, a, I'm a Belichick guy. I stand by Belichick. Um, I see what he did with the – but that's where Belichick really excelled was those undraft. He didn't draft – Belichick doesn't typically draft well. Um, He pulled Brady up at 199 a couple, you know – but that was on the advice of someone else. He was going to let Brady. They were going to let Brady sit. You know what? I, I you uh, you cannot chalk that up as not a W in, in Belichick's column. Yeah, I mean, oh no, absolutely a, right. not. And, and the the thing about he doesn't draft well. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back against that because yeah. he has had the lowest draft position in the history of the NFL forever. Yeah, this and is true. And there's a there's this sort of like default setting people have like they started that narrative and they kind of dismiss the hits and focus on the the, the misses. Um, I, I mean, I can go back to I don't know Logan Mankins with the thirty second pick. You know, Vince Wilfork with the twenty first. Gerard Mayo we dropped back in the draft to get him, but that was a, that was a ten. I I think that you know we see a lot of. Uh, narrative that oh he can't draft receivers okay but look at the numbers and i I won't get too caught up in the weeds here but he rarely drafts wide receivers and when he does he doesn't draft them high 
the they've drafted just about as many tight ends as wide receivers. And most teams, it's like two and a half to three times as many because you put more wide receivers on the field than tight ends. Half the guys that he's drafted at, at receiver have been fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. So that includes Julian Edelman, you know, uh, like yeah, special teams guys like, like Matthew Slater and nobody's like Jeremy Gallon. It's not like he's invested like a metric ton of draft capital at the receiver position the way, say, uh, Matt Millen did when he built the NFL's first 0-16 team. He doesn't value the position. He would rather take a chance on getting a guy like an Edelman or a Troy, well, Troy Brown wasn't drafted by him, but um, like David Givens, seventh round pick, won a couple of Super Bowls. Um, You know, Jacoby Myers, undrafted. And I'm I'm fine with that. Nikhil Harry, so far, gigantic swing and a miss. That was the time he (laughs) decided to spend that much capital on it, and it has blown up in his face so far like a cartoon cigar. Like Yosemite (laughs) Sam holding a bomb. (laughs) And I I hope, you know, this guy comes back and actually redeems himself. But, you know, my confidence is not high on that. Now, you talked about your your EEI days and the baseball callers. And I know for a fact, Robert Damore, Bobby D, logged on after that and started listening to us. And he commented on our YouTube because he messaged me when he logged in. Yeah. He said he worked at Fenway Motor, Motor Inn as a short order cook. And cooked a hot dog for George Scott in 1968. Oh my God, my mother's favorite player. Oh gosh, she she loved the boomer. I love the I love the boomer. One of those guys who could hit the ball like you know 500 feet, yeah, and then just lost it overnight. Just one of those guys who went from this to aging. Some guys have a little slow decline, but he just. All of a sudden, his swing became like a rusty gate. But what a amazing, like lovable cat he was. That's and Bobby D. Bobby goes to every pro wrestling show in the area that he can. He's a he's a one of our local listeners. So, by the way, thanks for thanks for having me on your your wrestling centric show. Like it's funny, I didn't realize you did stand up, but we've always mixed stand up comedy in and. We yeah. always mixed other stuff. We'll get your opinion on pro wrestling in a little while. Oh, possibility. Don't don't let the fact that you've never heard of my stand-up dissuade you from the fact that, yeah, people have been paying me to do this nonsense. 1991, so it's like a few months after I started doing stand-up, I won the WBCN Comedy Riot. Nice. The, the following year was won by a comedy team that included a couple of nobodies named Dane Cook and Bobby Kelly. Uh, Who were they? Yeah, exactly. I don't know what whatever became of them. And I've been, I took a brief break when I had kids, but I've been back in it. It's, and it's, it's fun. Well, things you, you, you find your love and you just, no matter how far out you get, you always come back to it. Bobby hey, Kelly th- hasn't read three books and Dan Cook tells jokes as long as your three books. <laughs> he tells other people's books. <laughs> Oh yeah, He's, my opinion, guys. My uh, opinion. Oh just... no, straight up has been uh, has been accused. As a matter of fact, last night I was watching uh, Step Brothers. Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything, from streets to the peaks. DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. 
Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. Guys, you know damn well when you're traveling and you don't have enough pockets, there's not enough room in your bag, you still got something, just clip it on. And you're good to go, whether it's going through the TSA checkpoint, going from the car to the hotel room, or you're, you know, backpacking through the Elks. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer you, our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10, or go into the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. A movie, by the way, that had no business being good, and it right. is great. Absolutely. That was Will Ferrell before what anyone knew Will Ferrell was funny. Yeah, well, I, I saw the premise. I said, eh, can this really be that good? Anyway, it's great. And there's that awesome moment where um, Adam Scott, who plays the obnoxious husband, you know, Derek, the one they call Derek, and he's like torturing his wife, beeping the horn, just going, let's go, Dane Cook, pay-per-view, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how they decided. How would you really – Express that a guy is a complete d bag. How about he wants to go home and watch Dane Cook pay for you? <laughs> Dane Cook, man. In, sure you know what? I, I, Dane Cook's not my type of comedy, but I got to give him credit because he figured out how to market. Um, I compare him to Bastu, the way he started his marketing on MySpace and on iTunes before any other comedy was putting out a single joke at a time like that. Sure, fair, fair comparison, you know, and, and again, not Barstool not every pretty much started that same way. Absolutely, he's not necessarily in everybody's wheelhouse. Having said that, you know, last week I had a really great show. I enjoyed the heck out of it in a small club that you know held maybe 120 people, and he has sold out. He has sold out arenas. Right. So you know what the people, the people have, yeah, the people have spoken. Being popular is not necessarily. Um, means that you're great but it also doesn't mean that uh you're not popular yeah. flat out if every if a lot of people like you they can't all be wrong okay. i'll talk to you after about some local opportunities too if you want yeah let's 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 like, do that um, my, my no. opinion of dane cook is similar to how like a lot of young kids these days will like a certain type of music because their friends do it that's all it was that's all i see it's like Oh, Susie the Cool Girl likes Dane Cook, so we all do now. No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's sort of eternal. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, I guess I'm predisposed to having to say, music today is all garbage. Well, you know what? Music in my day, there was a lot of garbage, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize to the generations that followed for AHA's Take On Me. <laughs> That is Drek. And when I say that to people, go, oh, no, it's a great song. I'm like, listen to the song. It's Take hot. It's on hard. me. It's hot. It's hard garbage. And, you know, I, I can still sit there and say, you know what? Uh, there's no more Stevie Wonders. There's no, you know what I mean? The, some stuff is eternal. There's no Elton John out there today. But, you know, the fact that there are things that people will like because it's cool to like them. That, well, that is not a new invention. But we also live in an era now where Elton John just played the piano for Miley Cyrus covering Metallica on Howard Stern. See, there you go. And Does now, that not John, blow your mind? I, I, how long could you sit through the MTV Video Music Awards? I didn't like, even turn it on this year. Yeah, no. And nobody did. Like, it's, Good. you know, it, 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 
it, or even take like something more popular like the Grammys. I can acknowledge that I recognize maybe, maybe half of the names and have no desire to, or SNL. You know, you watch SNL and when the music act comes on, 90% of them might just go, this is trash. But I have an institutional memory of when I was, like I was a teenager and it was Devo and I love them. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen them before, but I love Devo. Now, would I have ever expected my parents to come into the room, hey mom, come in and see this band wearing upside down flower pots on their heads and yellow jumpsuits. Like them the way I like them. Like, oh my God, turn that off. And, and they're, again, they're not wrong. That's that's just sort of the, the circle of life kind of thing. I watched yeah. one of the boxing events. One of the it had to be one of the Paul Brothers boxing events earlier oh. this year, and there was more music concert than boxing. Yeah, and um. I didn't know any of them other than uh, Snoop Dogg did a song with Ice Cube and Too Short and a couple of other older rappers that nobody in today's music knows. Yeah, it's it's horrible. To me, it's organized noise. Yeah, and I knew yeah. some of the songs because the, I guess the way to get a hit song now is to get it released on TikTok. Yeah, make, makes sense. You know? I mean, I, I, I do a lot of trivia, and music is not my strong suit. And my buddy, who's really good at this stuff, invariably, like, let's say it's a it's a sheet of paper, and it's you know name you know match the the album and the lead singer and the band or whatever. That's when I go. All right, I'm gonna hit the boys room, and you take care of this because I'm you know I listen to this music, but I can't identify it. Well, anyway, we did it recently, and it was here's a clip of a song and identify the artist, and even he couldn't tell the contemporary ones from another, like Ed Sheeran and Niles Horan. And there's another guy with a similar name. And it's just, it doesn't stick to you. It's no one's going to be listening to it 10 years from now, as opposed to the aforementioned Stevie Wonder. Like I'm I'm in Trader Joe's yesterday and they're, they're playing one of his songs. And I said to the guy behind the the register, I said, "Have, have I ever heard one of these Stevie Wonder songs and not been happy. And he goes, I'm in a band and we play two of them. And, uh, you know, you know, and we talked about Stevie Wonder for 10 minutes, 50 years from now, no one's going to be sitting there going, well, you know that Ed Sheeran cannot get enough of them. Never get sick yeah. of it. Never. No one's going to be doing the autobiography of one of these guys, the way they did rocket man or, yeah, or I know what Ed Sheeran uh, looks like because he they showed him hanging out with um in the owner's box last week Sunday Sunday during sure. the Patriots game. Oh, because you know, Mr. Kraft, or as I have permission to call him, RKK. I do in fact have that permission. I just want to be clear on that. That's official. It's coming from the horse's mouth. Um, you know, he's into the contemporary artist. Yeah. I mean he, he helped get Meek Mill out of prison and you know, a lot of other rappers. And I am not pretending that I don't listen to Yacht Rock on a regular basis. Yacht I'm Rock, listening. if you don't know, like they did a whole uh, Family Guy episode of Ottawa. where Peter became obsessed with it. It's it's like 70s soft rock, Doobie Brothers, flipping uh, 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 with, with Kenny Loggins, I, I, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do not shy away from that. Now, um, I know, you know, we obviously know you're a huge sports guy. You've written the three books. 
Is it? Is it just? Is it three? Did I get the number right? Is it you, the six? You, you do, but there's an asterisk there because uh, so I wrote from Darkness to Dynasty, and then after they beat um, the uh, the uh, Falcons, the publisher came to me and said, "Here's the here's the pitch: five rings." Cool. So five rings came out in uh, September of 2018, and the Patriots made it obsolete in five months. Right. Like by winning the sixth ring. So I'm like, fantastic. Now I've got the laser okay. disc of books. And so um, we're able to like repurpose it and, and kind of do the sequel, if you will, called called Six Rings. And I hope that it becomes seven rings really, really soon. So yeah, now call it call it two or three. Two, th three with an asterisk. Make it like we'll an make it a trilogy. Encyclopedia, yeah. just send out a compendium. Like one more, one more, one more. Yeah, well, you find out when you have a physical book on shelves in stores that it's not like just releasing the director's cut of a DVD. Like you actually have to like no. they have to take them off the shelves and resell them. Having said that, um, it's done really well. I'm re I'm very very happy about uh, when when I go to like a Barnes and Noble and there's a bunch on the shelf. And the next time I go in, there's one on the shelf, and we're on to more. Like so, there you go, kids. Just in time for Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Going to Barnes and Noble, you're leaning on the on the shelf next to your books. I hoping people recognize you. I don't know how you are with wrestling, but I'm going to guess an '80s era guy. A hundred percent. So I uh, sent Joe a text the other day, and he told me he can't go to the show because he's going away with his girlfriend. You tell me if I sent you this text in a, in a picture. It's Hogan and Macho Man tagging up as the the superpowers 2.0. Now. There's an asterisk, just like your book. Okay. There's a promoter in New York that's booked a guy named Randy Hogan with a guy named Match O Man. Scottish, an uh, Irish gentleman, right? Yes. Yeah. Mister Mrs. O Man named their son Match. He's he's a um, he's on fire. A, 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 he's the leading macho man impersonator in the world, apparently. There's such a group of those people out there, though. Yeah, but, I mean, so they, like you're putting on a wrestling show, you probably get both of those guys for twenty bucks a piece, and now so, you get to put Hogan and Macho Man on your card. So they are the equivalent of like what say Joshua Tree is to you too. Like I, the Patriots at opening game, uh, week one had uh, Joshua Tree come out and do uh, their simulation of the halftime show from the 2001 Super Bowl with the, the you know, victims of 9-11 scrolling behind them and stuff like that. All right, get it. Um, I understand the appeal of seeing tribute bands before. Actually, I like tribute bands of tribute bands, like Beatlemania <laughs> Mania. You know, the Joshua but, Tree tribute band. With What's the uh, Aerosmith one? Draw the line. Draw the line. Um, I think draw the line is the yeah. big one. But, but like wrestlers, okay, now, you, now you're just kind of getting into that realm of, like, I'm guessing that much, oh, man, <laughs> is to Randy Savage <laughs> what the Times Square Spider-Man is to Peter Parker. Right, I'm, you know the, no, the, the yeah the knockoff <laughs> Elmo is to actual Elmo. Um, oh, that and I and I feel bad for them that they're doing that, and I feel worse for the people who would pay money to go to go Dude. see that. It's, it's like when uh, 
the, the Lisa and Bart Simpson went to Camp Krusty, and Krusty yes. was like in like you know Tijuana or something, boozing it up, and like they, a very drunken uh, Barney Gumble shows up, like <laughs> like you're not you're not Krusty the Clown. I am too Crunchy the Clown. <laughs> the independent wrestling. It's less of a funny place now than it was. There used to be a guy that called himself One Warrior Nation that wrestled out. He was, I think he was from New Jersey or New York, but he wrestled up here in Mass for a few people that would tell you and would tell podcasts that he was the ultimate warrior sometimes for WWF. And then he got to the point where the WWF must have gave him a cease and desist. You you would have to, or, or if so, if they if they don't if WWE doesn't completely own the rights to that, you would think at least like Ultimate Warriors uh, uh, right. estate would well, sue him for that. Yeah, and he did this while the Warrior was alive. Oh my gosh, this was absolutely while the Ultimate Warrior was alive. But at that point, when he got the cease and desist, he would answer the question saying. Um, I can no longer answer questions about that um, because I have got a cease and desist order. So he still wouldn't tell you no. And then, like, climb back into the ring with the full makeup on and the, yeah. the long hair. And he, the I, I did security for a show in New York that he was on, and it was crazy. Like, we're, we're gonna because I know you're not a real wrestling guy, so we're gonna talk like crap. Uh, just not a recent wrestler, but but I, 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 you know, he, I did respect a, I the art did, form. I did security on a show in New York and the promoter came up to me and said, you got to come here for, with me. And he was trying to pull this guy out of his match because he was refusing to lose. He told the promoter and I quote, I didn't lose to Macho Man at WrestleMania three. I'm not going to lose here. My argument for the for the wrestler for One Warrior Nation was he's right. He didn't lose to Macho Man at WrestleMania three because he wasn't there. Yep. <laughs> like imagine the idea. Yeah. Now now you've got an ego. You're trying to protect mm-hmm. your integrity as a performer when you are in fact not a, a performer. But if you say that you write for the biggest sports blog the biggest blog company probably in the world right now yeah, i don't know yeah. many others that are worth that the type of money that barstool is worth no nobody um you earned that you know what i mean yeah well, i mean i was there right. I, I was there from the beginning like when we were making no money and you know barely and the, the it was newspapers that were being driven around the city in an astro van or whatever and if all of a sudden some guy appeared at, at like you know bar stool sports named like you know terry jordan like <laughs> trying to write my stuff i okay i would say like you you, you gotta stop that crap but like you know it, or at least pay money to the person that you're ripping right. off like i once have worked in a it was the uh uh, Comedy Connection down at Faneuil Hall when it was oh, a yeah. big old barn of a place and yeah. whatever. And uh, I did a midweek set and the stage was covered with plastic wrap. Why? Because that week they were featuring Gallagher 2. Oh, Gallagher was- 2 was the brother of Gallagher okay. who basically leased the act and looked like him and did the exact same act 
right down to squishing watermelons. And as I walked up and down on the stage, sticking to my sneakers was the plastic wrap filled with like watermelon squishings and crap. So, okay. But at least the original Gallagher was making a buck off of that. I mean, God yeah, rest right. his soul. I'm so despondent that we lost Norm MacDonald, but I yeah. can't exactly just oh, yeah. jump up on stage and start doing his like, uh, yeah, you know, if we, uh, if you really want to, uh, fight a war on terror, I want to start with, uh, America's haunted houses. That's his joke. I can't take yeah, that. Right. I, I can't. I can't own that. But if you're in wrestling, you're allowed to do that. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, no. Hard. No. It, it's it's very um. It's very very frowned upon from the boys in the back. That this the same promoter that used to bring this guy up here to Massachusetts. Uh, the one that brought one warrior nation up this way was uh, he brought in. I don't know if you remember Rikishi. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. He brought in Rikishi for a show, and Rikishi was under WWE contract at the time, but they were allowed okay. to, when they were coming back off injury, they were allowed to do some of these smaller shows, the independent shows, to get the ring rust out. And uh, he tried to pay Rikishi in something other than cash. Uh, <laughs> okay. Sure, Rikishi, there are two possibilities, and neither of them are necessarily it, it, uh, legal. Yeah, it wasn't a sexual thing. It was definitely drugs. Okay. Rikishi had a signature move. I, I worked this into a football blog a while ago. What was his signature move? Stink face. Yeah. Stink face. There we go. Thank you for that. See, I'm, the, um, Rikishi, I'm not completely illiterate on the topic. <laughs> the promoter says to Rikishi, well, what are you going to do? You can leave, but if you try to leave, I'm going to have all the boys boys get you. And Rikishi looked, and there's actually video of this on YouTube that some of the wrestlers put out that were in the back said, who is he calling the boys? I think he means us. So they all left. <laughs> Good. So so they had a preservation instinct because you yes. did not mess with Rikishi. You know, I Rikishi. hate to be that guy who, like, I, as I'm making fun of the MLB callers who would get to sports radio to say who he once saw play baseball. But um, I went to the Boston Garden as a young yeah. man, brought a bunch of guys. I had a after college job with uh, a lot of executives and guys in their late thirties and early forties. And I led a contingent of us to Sunday morning to the Boston garden for the closed circuit television uh, broadcast of WrestleMania one. Awesome. Nice. I, I begged, just, I, I begged. How old were you? So you would have been probably 13, um, maybe I'm trying to do the math. 12, 13. Yeah. Um, in that range, the problem was my father had taken me to a couple of those old Boston Garden shows. Yeah. And there were more fights in the stands. Like, we watched oh, yeah. a guy. My father, I'll still tell the story to this day of watching a guy get dragged down those concrete stairs by his feet. <laughs> yeah, Joe, that was bad bad juju back in the day in that place. Yeah. Joe, did you ever go to a, a closed circuit event or I went to at the one. I went to one, but it was one of the, I forget what, the, what it was called, but it was like there was wrestling at the garden, but then they simulcast some matches from Madison Square Garden. Yeah, okay. They kind of did back and forth. And, um, and basically the whole premise of it was to set up a next match somewhere else. Like I'd have to have the guy in Boston in the ring arguing with the guy in New York on the screen. Yeah. And then the next week they're in Philly – in 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 somewhere else, and then those two guys are in Philly, and 
and it was weird. It was it was before the big TV deals? And that whole time, Joe had no idea where he was. No, no, no. Just because you said you were from Weymouth, that Rikishi story, and Rikishi actually sat out in front of this building um, during the show just to let fans going in know, hey, I'll sign your autograph out here. I'm not on the show. It was the Quincy Armory. He was a class act all the way. That, <laughs> but that, that was that young man. Yep. Um, so I was like, you know, I grew up on on wrestling. Um, you know, Saturday mornings, my brother. You know, we shared a bedroom. It's like, okay, let's watch you know, Vince McMahon. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, just to throw out really old names that will mean nothing to your audience, but like, you know, Bruno Sammartino and Chief J. Strongbow and yes. Bobo Brazil. And I was Real a huge fan. Gorilla Monsoon, there was, I, I, a guy who was a huge influence on just my sense of humor in general, but also how I um, perceived sports, how I, I processed, uh, consumed sports, was Eddie Andelman, who, um, you know, the, the sports huddle on Sunday nights yeah. was four hours of just amazing, like, sports as comedy, whereas if you listen to the other shows, and it was just like, I'm telling you right now, the Red Sox need more relievers, you know, and, and so they wrestling was a huge part of it. And what they did when I just as a young kid, I started to really get wrestling because they would embrace like the heels. I mean, they I'll never forget, like uh, Captain Lou Albano coming on the show and like a woman calling up saying, Captain Lou, I love you. I, I'd do anything for you. He goes, what do you look like, honey? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, well, I'm pretty attractive. He goes, oh, I love women. I'll uh, I'd like to have one for a pet. They're like, you know what I mean? And then yeah. they, they would have the Grand Wizard of Wrestling, who was a great yeah. wrestling villain manager, and he was great. You know, Lord Alfred Hayes, and they try to figure yeah. out where he is in the line of succession to the throne of England, and they <laughs> dumped all over Bruno Sammartino, who was like the golden God, the untouchable, you can't criticize him. And so fast forward to like WrestleMania one at the garden. And it was weird. It was weird for minutes. So like, all right, we're here. We're in an arena, but we're watching television. Like, and I, I forget who he was wrestling, but David San Martino got picked up and slammed into the concrete and the whole place went nuts. And we're going, okay, now we're into this. Just yell at the screen, pretend it's real. And uh, that, of course, was a famous one with Captain Lou and Cindy Lauper and and and, yeah. and uh, Rock Hulk. Wrestling days. Yeah, this Hulk and really the birth of it. Hulk and um, Mr. T, and this is fresh off the heels of Rocky Three, and they were up against um, uh, my all-time favorite wrestler to this day, Roddy Piper, yeah, and um, so. and his partner was. Paul Warndorf, maybe I should know, but yeah, um, I, yeah Pite, oh, are you at WrestleMania one? That was the Mr. T thing, right? Yes, exactly. I think it might have been Cowboy Bob Orton. There we go. I think, think, think you're right. And there's never been a greater heel, there, there never will be. No, than, but than Rowdy Roddy. The reason they put Bob Orton out there is because they were afraid that those two were really in a fight because I guess there was some real animosity between Mr. T and, and Piper had sort of a reputation for um, maybe really hitting somebody here and there. Yeah. Like with the coconut. That was oh, an yeah. accident. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> I went, there's a documentary I saw about him not long ago. and It was phenomenal. Like just, you really got a sense of the guy and how hard it was for him to play this heel 
and then go home and be like a family man. And he had daughters that he adored or, or whatever. And like just how, I don't know, stoic he was in the face of his own yeah. mortality and whatever. And just, just a phenomenal, phenomenal entertainer, performer, athlete, like all of it rolled into one and well, just. One of the best voices ever. The best, yeah, the quickest I, wit. Oh, God, yeah, sure. razor sharp. Oh, yeah. I do want to make sure we tell everybody where they can find you. Um, and we haven't slipped that in yet. Okay. Um, I write on Barstool Sports every day, um, you know, four, five, six times a, a day. A lot of stuff about the Patriots, but a lot of stuff about pop culture, just whatever's like going up my butt sideways about how terrible the world is. Like, whatever, just trying to have some fun. I'm on Twitter at Jerry Thornton one and Instagram. And, uh, I there's a Jerry Thornton page on uh, on Facebook where I share more of like the, the things that I've written and videos that I've done and so on. And just started my own Patriots podcast called Do Your Pod. Nice, and, uh, I like yeah, it. Thank you very much. Right. And uh, just it's just a fun way to break down every Pats game. It comes out Wednesdays in the, in, at noon, and uh, every week I have on a different guest and. Basically, kind of like you guys, you just you love talking about wrestling or whatever. Yeah. I said, well, you know, I, I miss being in front of a microphone. And what's the thing that I enjoy talking most about? The Patriots and utter ridiculous nonsense. So I'm checking both those boxes. There you go. Now, how do you go from, I mean, not our level. I don't want to put us up like that, although – I do tell people we're the best podcast not on Barstool Sports. So, positively, I, um, I, there's, there's no argument. Joe Rogan right now is going, "What the heck?" You know, exactly. oh, how can I how can I compete against this? Mark Maron is going. I had Obama, but I never Whoa. had Jerry Thornton on. <laughs> Joe, the day the day I told people that Joe Rogan called in sick with COVID, so. <laughs> <laughs> and why they didn't put you on in his place is beyond me. That's on you, JRE. Joe Rogan experience, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I so podcasting now is like so. Maybe twenty years ago, Sirius and XM Radio came in as two separate companies, and they sort of took over what was broadcast radio, especially the talk stuff. For sure. And then it, it came into Sirius XM, and then it it became all about sort of a lot of music. Um, comedy talk, morning drive time stuff, but not sports. There was a couple of sports channels on there. Um, and I think Boston Sports is really on that level. Like you're on the radio level of things. So um, where do you see that going? Where do you see, like, do you plan on staying with Boston Sports and just growing with that? Because that company's grown so much over the past couple of years. Even when I was away from Barstool, um for two years, I – always felt ownership of it not ownership like hey where's my piece of the pie but ownership like i'm proud of this and how we're able to build it and it got you know bought out by by churning which was a big interest and so now it became a corporation that had like a business model and things that are important and you know things that kept me from being a full-time employee like health insurance and 401k and, and whatever um, and so when my contract was up at EEI and they offered me another deal, I was like, I'm going back to Barstool. They'll, they'll take me full time and haven't regretted it for a one hot second. And it's, I don't want to do anything else. Like this is, 
what I want to do as long as they'll have me or until I decide, you know what, it's time for me to, you know, change my name and uh, just roam the countryside, like solving mysteries like uh, David Banner and the Hulk or whatever. I don't know. Um, You're going to put on the lucha mask and come in for the next round? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. From parts unknown. But but also, like, I think we're also doing the best work out there. You know what I mean? Because the model from us, yes, it, it it's a business and there's a plan and they understand how to, you know, integrate different platforms and whatever. But at its core, we're always reminded of this. It's us being ourselves and being authentic. And that's what, what sells. And, you know, terrestrial radio, you know, I, I try to listen to it now and with a few exceptions, because there's still some, some good shows out there where people are really being themselves and it's worth waiting through commercials for and all that other stuff. But those are few and far between. And um, I think ultimately what's great about podcasts just as a genre um, is it's people being real. It's a conversation. They're stepping over each other. They're interrupting each other. You know what I mean? You can, you can tell off color jokes or whatever. Um, You can, you can swear if that's your, your jam. But more than anything, it's just a conversation, not an interview. Right. Whereas, you know, you listen to sports radio and I was like, okay, well, coming up after this uh, segment, we're going to get into, uh, you know, the Red Sox. But first we want to hear, we have uh, Peter King on the line, you know, that kind of crap. Um, Whereas I think, you know, you listen to, pardon my take, and it's two guys that are great together that are funny and clever and inventive and they have guests on and they get the best out of the guests. And I mean, that's the future of how media, and you, you know, there's exact demarcation line when you, I, when I would, I was away from the stool and I would be at EEI and I'd get like people under a certain age would say, Hey, miss you, man. I'm like, well, I didn't die. I'm just on huh. the radio 20 hours a week. Now it's, you know, where are you? And I go, I'm a bar still. I have a podcast. And I go, yeah, I don't know what a podcast is. And those are like the people older than me at the gym, you know, so, like, so, you know, the guys yeah, with the, the yeah. 10 pound weights, you know, so. so. The fun, Joe called me one day back in 2004 and said, there's this guy running this contest to do this internet radio thing. And back then it was, we were the Irish Whip Internet Radio Show because that's what it was called. And it didn't be, it became podcast a little while later. And that took us a little while to, like, we held off on calling it a podcast. Yeah. We should maybe because it had some kind of stigma, maybe, or whatever. Yeah. And I I think it was like, um, I I also invested in HD DVDs. When Blu rays came out, I just made the, you know, but, I made the bad think, choices on that. You, when you think about the other shows that did that, at that time, there was four or five other shows, and right. we're the only one left. Yeah, definitely, and it wasn't like it is now. Now everybody's got a podcast. We're lucky where we partner up with um, Wrestling News Sports. Uh, sorry, WrestlingNewsSource.com. I apologize, Ben. Um, but we um, we partnered up with them, and we get, a, we get a pretty good amount of downloads off of that, so Cool. Um, I, we I, get to be pretty. We get to say we're actually successful. I've had some more than a few people that reach out to me and say, "How do I get going? How do I? I, I want to talk sports. I want to be into into the media." And you know, my advice is always the same. It's 
you have so many more opportunities. Like kids are being told, you got way fewer opportunities. You know, you got to go work for a local newspaper. Uh, yeah, you got to go work in, uh, you know, a, a, a place in, uh, you know, Piscataway, New Jersey, and hope that you catch on or whatever. No, no, you can do your own thing. And I, I think the internet is very much a, a meritocracy. Start a podcast, which was unthinkable when I would say 20 years old, the idea of doing it. Like there were two newspapers and three like local stations. And if you weren't Bob Bell or you weren't Will McDonough, then you had no shot. So now you've got immediate, infinite opportunities. Start a blog, start a website, start a podcast and just do a bunch of flight hours. And if you're good, you know, you'll, you'll be, it's like when I broke in a comedy, there were three clubs in Boston open seven nights a week and right. another one in Cambridge. So you had opportunities. So go do them, pursue that. And um, I, I honestly think if you're having a good time and you are talented, then it will find an audience. You know what I mean? Like don't force it. Don't, don't push it. Just have a good time in the short term. And then have a you know keep hustling and have a plan going forward, but just don't obsess over how am I going to get sponsors for this? Like, be right. good, get an audience. You know, do okay. Facebook Live, do uh, you know Instagram Reels, whatever. Do do TikTok. TikTok has exploded. I it's not my jam. I do it a little bit, but it, to me, it's all you know. 20 year old girls in belly shirts like dancing in front of rap music, but people have taken that form and done amazing things with it. So be that's one of J them. That's what JP does on his TikTok. Belly shirts and dancing. I, I, that's why I'm such an avid follower of his. And I love, by the way, your OnlyFans content is amazing. Thank well, you. Thank you. You're the one, huh? <laughs> exactly. I appreciate it. Pre you're right. The internet um, in, I don't think these kids realize how good they have it. Like, some of these kids, I, I give the Paul brothers credit. I, I'm not a fan of this, but I give them credit because you know they've at least been punched in the face. Right. Can yeah. take a punch, you can know. dish it out. Yep, absolutely. And I think that people who are still trying to make them be the butt of the joke like they're, you know, Michael Listen. Bolton. Like, the they're joke's not. on you because – and, and Jake Paul can fight. And they yeah. have – you yeah. know – is he going to beat a boxer who's trained at just boxing for years? Probably not, but he hasn't been boxing for years. There you go. You know, he's I'm... boxing guys that are definitely ahead of his level, and he's be where his level should be, and he's beat them. Shouldn't yep. have beat Woodley, but he beat them. Right, and I don't think he's dabbling in boxing. I think he's worked yeah, he... hard at it, and and it can it can he's happen, boxer. you know. And I, I think a lot of what we're seeing over the last, like, say, twenty years, certainly with the rise of Barstool is the, uh, I'm going to, I don't even think it's a word, so I'm going to really try to pronounce it clearly, the democratization, and I know that's not a word, of like information and popularity. Look, we've got so much blowback, especially in the early days, from the traditional media. Um, oh, yeah. You know, people said it's just like, you know, these are a bunch of, oh, and they never even worked hard on the cliche, bunch of guys sitting around in their base, their mother's basement just complaining about stuff. You know what? We represented and spoke for and reflected the views of the fans, of their readership. During the rise of Boston sports, when they went from, you know, 16 years without a championship to championships yeah. every other year, 
the the newspapers were still pumping out and sports radio the same negative garbage. You know, oh, they, Belichick doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, you know, Terry Francona doesn't bunt enough, all this nonsense. And like while teams were winning championships and we were the ones going, this is great. This is amazing. This is yeah, so much better than it used to be. And people said, these guys are speaking for us. I don't know who, the, who these fossils are that are in the, the piece of paper that's dropped on my mother's front porch every day. And I think that's what the internet has done. It's there's parts of the internet that are terrible, but I think it's ultimately been a reflection of this is, it's a mirror and you can look yep. good in that mirror. You can look like, uh, like, you know, your past time has passed you by. And what I think is cool is guys like Robert Kraft love Boston sports, but doesn't necessarily talk to the Main Street media. And that happens before anything happened. You know what I mean? It was like that. He loves you guys. And that says something for how respectful you guys are. Yeah, I mean, anyway, Dave, Dave getting arrested at the, at the Super Bowl to go see them was probably helped. But Can I tell you that that's my biggest regret, is that that happened while I was at WEI. And if I was still with Barstool, it would have been the Brady Five. I, I would have right? gotten. Oh, I absolutely. I would have gotten arrested and I have no criminal record, but I would have gotten one for that cause. And I mean, look at me, guys, with my body type and my, you know, the, the high cheekbones or whatever, I would have not lasted a minute in a Manhattan lockup. Oh, I would have been traded for a pack of smokes and a heartbeat and I would have done it for the, yeah, for the injustice that was done to Tom Brady. No. Yes. Now, but you talked, you just mentioned this, and I want to, uh, like, with the stuff with them calling the Patriots the underdogs and treating them like they're crap, but I, I think it was after the 04 Super Bowl that Belichick got on the mic and said, don't worry, guys, they're still going to tell us we're the underdogs next year. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it you was know, 2000, yeah. 2003, they beat um, the Colts in the playoffs. And uh, the Colts were coming off, like, Pete Manning had had, like, a perfect game. They, they, their punter never took the field or whatever. The Patriots held them the three points. And after the season, the Colts, their, their general manager was on the rules committee, Bill Polian, and he got them to change the way defense was played in the NFL in order to help his own team. And they go ahead the following year, same situation, only this time Ty Law picked off Peyton Manning three times, Rodney Harrison a fourth time, and Teddy Bruschi to his eternal uh, fame said, you know what? You, yeah. The Teddy Bruschi Jersey. Thank you for showing that. He said, he was interviewed after the game. He says, you know, what? you want to change the rules? Try and stop us. Fine. Change them. We'll beat you anyway. <laughs> and that was I, just the beginning of the league pulling stuff like this. Yeah. Cause they said, there's no way the Patriots can actually be this good. You know what? Yeah, they were. And are, and will continue to be if there's a God in heaven. He, he is my favorite all time player. Hands down. It goes back to the, you know, bring it back to wrestling. It's one of the uh, Roddy Piper quotes. You know, they change the rules. You think you know the answers. I'm changing the question. Yeah, change, change yeah. the question. That's right. And after the story first broke about Deflategate, I wasn't sure what to do with this. It was like a Monday night, and Chris Mortensen posted that tweet at around 11 o'clock, the one about 11 of 12 footballs and the down two pounds or whatever. And I got up at four in the morning to kind of get as much information as I could because I was writing about this now on WEI. 
I, and I wanted to stake out a position and my position was, okay, if this is how it's going to be, lean into it, embrace it, embrace it, be wrestling heels. If everything they do is going to be like the Patriots are cheaters, then fine. We're cheaters. Go into the arena with your trunks on. He's like, yeah. Arr, arr. And as I clicked send to post it to the website, the morning show host said, if I'm a Patriots fan, if I'm like Thornton, I'm embracing this right now. I said, I've, I've done the right thing. And I never once had to change my position on that. There's a documentary on Netflix and Amazon Prime. It's available all over the place, Apple TV. It's called Four Games to Fall. It's about the flakegate. It's how messages in the media can get manipulated. It's about politics. It's about fake science. And it's got law professors and a guy from NYU who hates the Patriots, but he took their side. It's got MIT physicists. It's got me drunk in a bar. Uh, like, like, I was well, you show the regular guy. Well, I was the sort of like, okay, now bring out the, the, the dancing bear. And, um, but it was like, and, and I say it not because a minute, but it's, it's so enlightening about, greater societal issues about like fake science that we get thrown at us, but also just about how the Patriots have deranged everybody for 20 years now. Yes. Now, Jerry, we have to spin a wheel. We give away an action figure every week. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we're giving away a Seth Rollins elite figure. I got the wheel set up. I'm just going to shuffle the names for a second. And let's see who wins this week, guys. Again, it's the Seth Rollins Elite figure. Um, you can, you guys want to enter to win this every week. You just got to go on our Twitter at Three Irish Boys. Uh, usually Monday or Tuesday, I'll post what the figure is going to be, and all you have to do is retweet that tweet. It will be pinned. And follow us, of course, in order to do that. So, I like that tweet. And we got. Hope I win. Uh, I, I can't I win. do this. this. Joe, how often does this happen? Oh, no, no, no. It's oh. going to go to Ben. It's going to go to Ben. All right. Ben has Bosmith, who is a name that is on there consistently. I love it. Um, I like seeing anybody win, but especially when it's, you know, one of the right, one of you guys that are there every single week. So yeah, thank yeah. you, Ben. Thank you, everybody who retweeted that. Now, Jerry, I don't want to hold you too much longer either. I want you to hold me all night long, my friend. Just hold me ever so, ever so gently. No, but yeah, because we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up because you guys have wrestling to talk about. Your audience didn't come here to listen to me. Mr. T don't have time for your jibber jabber. (laughs) We put this whole show for you. Um, We've been getting comments on our YouTube all night that they've, they've been enjoying the conversation. Beautiful. Love it. Now, are you still local or did you have to go to New York? I've uh, rarely been to New York. I've, uh, and it was the first thing that, uh, Dave told t- told me when we first started talking about me coming back. And by the way, that negotiation lasted about three minutes. Just said, <laughs> you want to come back? Yeah, full time. Sure. Okay. And, you know, you don't have to come down to, you don't have to stay in New York. You can stay home. All right, cool. And, uh, you know, what would it, what should I get yeah. paid? And like we named a price and whatever. Um, the few times I've been down there, and I haven't been since before the dark times, because obviously, you know, right. New York or whatever. And I've been down to like, you know, spend a day in the office, do some of the radio, take the Irish Rose down. We'll go see a 
musical or whatever. But when I'm in the office, I've told them, I'm like Creed Bratton at Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> like, I'm the old weirdo. I'm kind of not sure who anybody is. You, you're vaguely aware of who I am, but don't know what I do. And uh, I might be able to get you drugs. You're not really sure. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, the, the, the company just has grown exponentially, even in the middle of all the shutdowns and, and whatever. We just keep yeah. adding employees and needing more space. And, um, you know taken on these different uh, business ventures that have been like wildly successful. And, you know, Penn national gaming has been a gigantic boost to it. So, you know, it's amazing that I was there when it was a free newspaper that you would get in the, the boxes downtown or on the shelf of a bar room. And I was amazed if anybody had ever heard of us to now I'm just honestly surprised if someone hasn't, heard of us i i just got a right. text from a guy who's at a grateful dead and company dead and company up in upstate new york yes. and i'd done his radio show a couple times and he met somebody from rhode island and they said what do you do for a living and he said uh we told him he's on the radio and they said oh you should have jerry thornton on your show and he's because i've had him on so <laughs> you know that's like my sister was in uh, hawaii one time and mentioned her last name and someone said are you related to Jerry Thorne from Barstow? She's like, I've been to Hawaii. What the hell? So <laughs> that's a testament to the site, but also to the um, the the fans, the readers, the listeners who supported us. The people have been hired that have is supremely talented and taken it to the to the next level and then the next level. And you know, the management is incredible. That they're they're so business savvy, and it allows me to just sit home in a Bigfoot t-shirt, you know, <laughs> writing about stuff that's interesting to me and no one questions it or tells me what to do. So I'm, I'm beyond they, proud to do this for a living because frankly, I'm qualified for nothing else. If they ever need a couple of um, guys to talk about professional wrestling or, or if they want to push it as this because it's a sports thing, sports entertainment, there's a couple of guys from Boston, Dave, that would love to have a conversation with you. Oh, heck, and heck I'll to, buy the pizza. Heck, heck to the yeah. Unless I take over that uh, gig and say, I can talk about wrestling from 1984 to about 1989 and see, <laughs> see what kind of an audience that generates. Now, you know what? No, I'd be better off going on talking about Yacht Rock. <laughs> I well, know where all the good, you can tell Dave. I know where all the good pizza is on the South Shore, and he's hit a couple of them, but not all of them, and not the best. Awesome. Well, guys, you you you've been terrific. Really appreciate you, you being much, patient, Jake, as we tried to schedule this thing. And I hope your hope your live show went great last week. And uh, <laughs> you know what's funny is the last time we tried to schedule, Joe had a health issue, and Joe actually tested positive this morning for COVID. Yeah, I was in the hospital. <laughs> I had COVID in December. I'm vaccinated, and I got it again. You got to knock that off. Like, <laughs> how many, I, it's, how it's many times do you days. want this thing? I just don't want nobody else to get it, so I'm taking it all. I'm like, I'm like the ultimate carrier. Yeah, it's only on show days. Sounds like a guy who doesn't want to you know, have to work. And believe me, I, I worked for the state for 15 years. I know what all the tricks are. Uh, I I'm called still- in sick with SARS. Monkey pox, Asian bird flu, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel. I had them all. I had Tourette's. I miss it, I miss it when my kids were little. They would be ultimate okay. calling. No one questioned it. Now my kid's sick. Okay. 
exactly. When you're calling with Tourette's, do you like throw a few extra yeah. like curse yeah. words in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boobs! Like, just hang on. One time, I, I used to call in sick so much that one time I forgot what I was calling in sick with. Like, I didn't have anything in mind. The boss said, so what's wrong with you? And I, I just said the first thing that popped into my head. I said, I've got um, erectile dysfunction. She's like, well, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that just make it easier for you to come in and, and do your job? I'm like, nah. Not according to you. You said I just sit around and play with myself all day. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I was a bad now, worker. Now you probably have a sponsor that can fix that. Yeah, don't don't ever hire me. Remember this face, and if I'm looking for a job, I will I will put your company in the in the bankruptcy within weeks. Jerry, thank you so much. Um, we are not on your level. We're trying to get there. We're trying to build ourselves, and that's why we like guys like you to come on. Please critique us um, if you feel free, if you have some time to over the next couple of days on what you think we can do better. Um, I'm just going to say, Joe, stop growing a beard because I've been working on this one for six weeks. And I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I shaved it this morning before I went to the hospital. Yeah, I'm so sick of guys with more testosterone than me, which is pretty much everybody. So It's, it's uh, mostly nose hair that's grown over. <laughs> that's absolutely disgusting. Well, you guys are awesome, man, and uh, really appreciate you taking a little uh, divergence from talking about wrestling to listen to me talk about my nonsense. And uh, just real, real quick, first book, From Darkness to Dynasty, the first 40 years of the Patriots, and the most recent one, Six Rings, the Super Bowl history of the Patriots so far, I, if they weren't. If I couldn't make these stories amusing and entertaining, I wouldn't have bothered. But it, the feedback's been good, and I, I appreciate you guys letting me plug away. Into the coming soon book, Seven Rings. We well, can only hope. Knock on wood. Isn't the reverse of your first one? That they go downhill from Dynasty to Darkness. No, we're how, not ever going to do that. How dare you? Though. How dare you, good sir. If I w I'm going to put on a scarf right now just so I can throw it over my shoulder indignantly and say, good day to you. I take my leave of you. They're not going to get worse. No, There's Mac my heel turn. And Mac, there you go. It's the NWO, man. <laughs> Hollywood Joe. At Jerry Thornton, one on Twitter and Instagram, if I remember that correctly. That would be correct. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Jerry, you, Jerry. For coming on. And everyone, I'll see you next Thursday. That's it.